Well, everybody, welcome to episode two of the week of Tap Outs and Touchdowns. As always, it's your guy, Bully Rye, back at it again, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. Thanks for making us part of your day presented by Anchor Podcasts. I already I told you earlier in the week we were going to have two episodes this week, and, and I'm a man of my word, if nothing else. Uh, but a special guest here with us uh, for our opening bell, uh, PJ Steven is back to talk a classic WCW pay-per-view. PJ Steven, how you doing today, bud? Whew. That's stuck out on my laptop. Cool. Hell yeah, man. I'm doing all right. Things are good, man. Things are good. I haven't, uh, it's been a while since you and I have, uh, have been together. We've been very busy with me traveling around for work and, and all that. Uh, but I'm very happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about this pay-per-view. Um, if I, if, uh, obviously we're recording this way past this, but happy July 4th, everybody. And that's the reason that we're doing this pay-per-view. It's a uh, great American bash 96, really great pay-per-view. And of course the iconic moment of Eric Bischoff getting put through a table by old Kevin Nash. And we'll get to that obviously later on. I'm doing great though, Ryan, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. It has been a minute since we have gotten together to do a show between uh, technical difficulties where I mentioned in the first episode this week where I lost my laptop charging cable and that didn't allow me to have a working computer to edit the show right? Uh, combined with technical difficulties this week that I mentioned to you offline. And uh, I, I guess I can mention to the, uh, to the crowd to kind of give you a peek behind the curtain, uh, just some, some technical difficulties when it comes to editing the show uh, for whatever reason, but we're getting through it and we are here uh, to talk about uh, one of the, uh, I guess, one of the biggest build-up pay-per-views in WCW history in the Great American Bash 1996. PJ, what sort of uh, opening information do you have to give us about this Great American Bash? <clears throat> so Great American Bash, man, um, one of the staples that was in WCW. Um, this, uh, it was actually Great American Bash was first in like 1985, um, but it actually became an actual pay-per-view, <clears throat> I think in like 1988 or something like that after it was rebranded, obviously, as um, as a w- WCW. Before that, it was obviously NWA. But this took place in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, June 16th, actually, not in July. Um Father's uh, Day. Yeah. They made they made a, they made a few comments. That's about it right. Father's it was Day. it was Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, that that is from Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, really good. I mean, it's a decent event. Um, there was a lot of uh, dark matches here that we're going to get into uh, shortly. But the first one, um, the first one was Rocco Rock, who was part of. Um, Public enemy, enemy from ECW, uh, who defeated Jerry Sags, obviously from um, the, nasty the Nasty Boys, which is fantastic. We've talked about the Nasty Boys before, and something that I didn't, that I forgot, that VK Wall Street, who was Mike Rotunda, yep. defeated Jim Powers, and for a second I was like, who the hell is Jim Powers? Jack. Yeah, and I remember I, I remember now that he was one of the young stallions in the late 80s, and he was in ECW for a little bit. He went to Pennsylvania Championship Wrestling, so uh, great talent there as well. And, of course, you have uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeating Disco Inferno, who Disco Inferno has had that same gimmick for years, but he makes it happen. These are about one- to three-minute matches, all three of these years, so they didn't really go for a very long time, but 
uh, you know, decent matches, uh, but we're going to get into the uh, the very first match on the card, really, uh, what everyone really saw, which was the Steiner brothers, uh, obviously Rick and Scott, defeating Fire and Ice, which is Scott Norton and Ice Train. Uh, really good stuff here. Uh, really liked Fire and Ice. I think that's a very underrated tag team. Uh, Ice Train, of course, being, um, oh, God. Harold Hogue, I think was his name. And he didn't get a whole lot of recognition of obviously Scott Norton had a great success in new Japan and WCW as well, obviously joining the NWO later on, but uh, this was a good match, man. A great tag team match. They went 10 minutes and 29 seconds. Um, not much to it. I love, love, love Steiner brothers hitting the Frankensteiner followed by a bulldog and Scott picking up the pinfall. I love, I love seeing Scott Steiner, that big bastard do the uh, Frankensteiner or hurricane Rana is what it's called now, but I really enjoyed it. Ryan, what'd you think of this? Yeah, I, uh, you know, this, the show obviously being in 1996 is going to be a nostalgia fest. And that was no different here. Uh, You mentioned fire and ice being a decent tag team. It's a couple of big dudes, and it definitely didn't get the chance to run its course. Um, I did happen to write down uh, with Scott, I think was in the ring with, with ice train. I, I wrote down a, a bunch of steroids in the ring right here. <laughs> a bunch of big boys. Oh um, my God. You know, knowing what Scott Steiner would do, there was a spot in the match where he would get leveled by ice train and to just, you know, knowing what Scott Steiner would become as big Papa pump is this unstoppable powerhouse that would, make Goldberg pass out at a pay-per-view. Um, it just, it was just, it was odd to me. Um, again, it was, it was a really good match by a bunch of big rugged guys. Um, man, there was a spot where uh, Scott Norton had a submission on, on Scott Steiner and Rick came in laying in some kicks and Scott was, Scott Norton was not breaking the uh, submission. Um, it did get a little wild and sloppy at the end, but as you said, love the Frankensteiner finish. I gave it two and a half stars. Um, you know, it's again for, for a bunch of muscle headed, really good, you know, really good athletes. I, I thought it was, it was, it was a good match. Uh, you know, nothing to kind of clamor about, you know, it's not a must see match, so to speak. Uh, right. But yeah, a good match. And again, a, a good start to the pay-per-view, uh, you know, seeing some pay-per-views today where they start off, especially NXT, most of the time you start off with a tag team match. So it was kind of Interesting to see it, you know, the, the formula in 1996 start the pay-per-view off with a tag team match and see what happens. Um, next up on the card here, uh, the United States Championship is on the line as Conan takes on El Gato, the cat. <laughs> Who is Pat, uh, Pat Tatanka is his name. Okay, good, because I didn't look it up because I didn't really care. Uh, they mentioned it was, his, it, was his, it was his pay-per-view debut for WCW, uh, one of two on the night that we'll get to here in a minute. Um, I tell you what, knowing again, the future for Conan, seeing this, uh, this old school Conan gimmick, uh, with the, with the mask and the kind of the, the luchadoras, um, wrestling attire gimmick was, was a wild visual. Unfortunately, I felt, felt like the crowd was pretty deaf for the match until the end. <laughs> there was, there was something that Conan <laughs> did where I saw the, uh, I, I wrote down that Conan is trying to kill the cat. I see. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, nice fitting finish. Uh, it seemed like the, it got the crowd into it late. I gave it two stars. PJ, how'd you feel about the United States Championship match with a debuting El Gato versus Conan? Not a bad match. I mean, it, it, 
you know, six minutes, three, three seconds, not terrible. I love the, God, I, every time I see it, the United States heavyweight championship belt from WCW is my favorite belt of all time. I've always said that. I just love seeing it here. Really great. Uh, great match. It was, a you know, oh no, excuse me. Great belt. Okay. Match, uh, decent finish. I mean, that spine buster was cool. And, um, you know, you got the win right there with Conan decent match. Yep. Uh, before we go to the next match, there's a promo, uh, given by sting. Uh, being interviewed by Mean Gene Okerlund. It was, a, it was a little different coming from Sting in this era. Again, knowing Sting would become a born-again Christian and would steer away from anything that was controversial. Uh, it was essentially an American men versus British sissy promo. Uh, it's pretty clear they were making a homophobic promo here about William Regal being a little, a little on the what – the, what do they used to say? Light on the loafers? Yeah, uh, something like that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was cringe. Yeah, it definitely was. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we, we move on to the next match. Uh, another match with two guys who would eventually become very big here in WCW. You get a Diamond Dallas Page versus Marcus Alexander Bagwell. PJ, why don't you give us your thoughts on this DDP versus Marcus Bagwell? So uh, it, it, this every time I see a Bagwell match, it always excuse me, it always reminds me about like, man, that guy had it all. He just couldn't get it into it. Couldn't get out of his own fucking way. Uh, Buff Bagwell here, obviously, who he would become teaming up with Steiner in the NWO. But before that, obviously, yes, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Um, poor guy is in prison now. Actually, I think he got out, actually. It was like, a, uh, I don't know why he wanted to. I think it was like a DUI or something. Yeah, DUI, domestic abuse or something like that. I mean, the, the guy's been through it. And for whatever reason, he can't get out of his own way. You think, speaking of DDP in this match with him, do you think all of the lives that DDP has touched, do you think that maybe he can get in the head of, of Marcus Bagwell and, and maybe yeah. turn his life around? But, but Good yeah. point. Uh, nevertheless, yeah, no, as, as you mentioned, you know, starting off here as Marcus Bagwell is at this time was a, was a member of the American Males with Scotty Riggs. And even That's prior right, to that, Scotty Riggs, yep. prior to that uh, it was a little before our time, but I, I mentioned it in my Gridiron Man of the Week segment uh, in the beginning of the week. Uh, he was a team with Del Wilkes, the Patriot, known as Stars and That's Stripes, right. and yep. they would win uh, two-time tag team gold in WCW before Marcus Bagwell would team up with Scotty Riggs. Uh, but yeah, so so you know, a little bit of the side notes here. How'd you feel about the actual match? Uh, the match was good. Another decent match on the card here. We really haven't had a bad match, really. Um, they've all just been, you know, pretty standard, uh, uh, decent matches. Love the fisherman suplex. Uh, Page turns into a diamond cutter. I one of the things I loved about Diamond Dallas Page is like the way they booked him to be able to. Um, reverse anything into a diamond cutter. And it was like, well, the RKO is now obviously not because of similar moves because they are, but um, the fact that like, you know, Oh, he reversed it for an RKO and he did that for an RKO. And it's like, you always had to watch out that the, it was crazy how protected they were of the diamond cutter. Uh, and uh, I love it. Uh, a good match. Good match though. Yeah. I, I wrote a couple notes here, a spot of the night nominee. There was a spot where Bagwell would pull DDP over the top rope, almost like a head, a head, to, uh, I don't even know what the name of the move is. It's almost like a stunner, and DDP kind of just flips over the top rope. A few minutes later, yep. a botch of the night, where it was a weird whip to the ropes where it looked like DDP was trying to put him into a, an abdominal stretch, and something got mixed up, and he ended up turning into some kind of weird backbreaker. Uh, DDP super selling later in the match was a little bit atrocious. 
Um, I wasn't expecting the flying head scissors by Bagwell because yeah. he's not the smallest guy in the world. But again, you mentioned the diamond cutter out of nowhere. The diamond cutter was always my favorite move. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that on the show, but I always loved the diamond cutter. And you mentioned how they always booked him to be able to hit it from anywhere, from the fireman's carry, from the top rope, uh, reversing the fisherman suplex to the diamond cutter. So far, this this to me was the was the best show, uh, best match on the show, I should say. Uh, three stars is what I gave it after giving a two and a half and two stars of the two previous matches. But again, uh, so again, I, I, I mentioned in my Impact Slammiversary review that there was a lot of good, not great matches. So far here, we haven't seen a lot of bad matches, a lot of good, uh, borderline great matches here. Uh, and DDP versus Buff Bagwell was no exception. Uh, next up on the card is is probably my favorite favorite card uh, favorite match of the card, or at least Damn right. Uh, right up there. Dean Malenko defends the cruiserweight. Oh, wait, championship. I, have to, I, have to, I have to throw in something in there real quick, and I forgot about it. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Hart interview or Gene Gene Oakland interviews Jimmy Hart and uh, and the Giant uh, before this match. You're right. And Giant just looks disgustingly oily. Like, did no, you see? I, mean, like, I noticed I was, it. It was <laughs> like it was like right before, like, hey, you got a promo in five, four, and it was like, okay, I got to slap some oil on me real quick. And it was like he was still trying to rub it in when the camera started rolling. Oh, you're totally yeah. right. What a like, funny spot. And, and did you notice how, like, <laughs> when the interview was done, he, like, ran off screen? Like, he had to piss? Like, it was <laughs> like... If you look at Jimmy Hart, he did the same thing. It was like, yeah. that was that was the design. Like, by design, it was, you know, Mean Jeans in the middle, Jimmy Hart's on the right, uh, Giants on the left, or vice versa, however you want to call it. And as soon as Giants said what he had to do... He turned his fucking head and just jetted off. Like, yeah, like he, oh, had to, he had to piss or he had to do something. I don't know what was going on, but that poor guy, man, like he had to go or yeah. uh, that. But I thought that was I thought that was so good. Oh, so yeah. funny. Anyway, really funny. Yeah. Uh, so moving moving along here from that. Yeah, go that ahead. Really good <laughs> promo. Uh, Cruiserweight Championship is on the line. Dean Malenko debuts uh, or I'm sorry, defends against a debuting Ray Mysterio Jr., the first ever pay-per-view match. I believe this is the first ever WCW match for Ray Mysterio. Uh, and you could tell uh, he looked a little nervous at the beginning of the match, a little timid, which is not something we're used to seeing Ray Mysterio or saying about Ray Mysterio. Uh, but man, the date I wrote down the debut of Ray Mysterio. What a time to have been a wrestling fan in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, this is this is his WCW debut. I had to fact check that. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I had forgotten that it was, and that makes sense why I wrote notes like is Ray off? But yep, you're absolutely yep. right. <laughs> they uh they they build him out of Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, you know, obviously that would change later in his career. But um, you know, again, it's even with his nerves striking him, the the back and forth between him and Malenko are great. So crazy watching Dean Malenko, who was a smaller guy, tower over and look like a like Brock Lesnar against Rey Mysterio as the power wrestling in this match. But I love the old school limb targeting uh, done by Dean Malenko here. Uh, you know, for being a cruiserweight match, it was very slow and mat fixed. But that's sort of what the gimmick from from Dean Malenko was. He was a mat wrestler. He's the man of a thousand holds. And it was on full display here. I do love the no-quit storytelling for Rey Mysterio here, especially being his first match in the company. Uh, they're already billing this Rey Mysterio does not quit. And I was not expecting, it has been a long time since I've seen this pay-per-view, I was not expecting Dean Malenko using a leverage pin with the help of the ropes yeah, to I was take the win that. here. 
I gave this match three and a half stars. So obviously I thought that it was better than the DDP Buff Bagwell match. Uh, PJ, what do you have to say? Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio. Uh, so I really did enjoy this match. They got 17 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, plenty of time. Uh, I loved this match. This is probably... Uh, might be my favorite match on the card. Uh, great spots here. It's a mix of great technical wrestling and high flying, as you um, um, as you mentioned. Um, they pop for the closing sequences, man. Like the crowd never was out of this match. Um, I didn't like the heel pin. I think Dean should have got it clean because he didn't need to. You know, he didn't need to do the um, the uh, leverage pin. Um, I guess my only complaint would be like, you know, Ray didn't get a whole lot of offense there. Um, but luckily, I guess uh, he's going to go on and make something of himself. I don't know what he's going to do, but I have a feeling that guy, Ray Mysterio, he's going to do really, really well. So I'm not yeah. too worried about it. <laughs> you mentioned he didn't get a lot of chance to show his offense. There would be a series of matches between Dean Malenko and Ray Mysterio following this initial match. Yes. Our borderline like classic cruiserweight rivalry like they they flip-flop the cruiserweight championship back and forth between the two of them really fun matches here and so like to see the the genesis of what would be Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio here was really really fun uh, I love the super the super Frankensteiner that Ray lands on Dean and we're, we're told to think that that's it and then like Dean turns the hurricane into a powerbomb like that should have just been it right there but yep. you had to do the leverage pin anyway I, no. I really did enjoy the match though I'm right there with you I totally agree uh, next up uh, I, I'm gonna I, I can I can give my my thoughts about this next match in two seconds John Tenta former the shark of the Dungeon of Doom also known as Earthquake Earthquake WWE. yeah <laughs> uh, he would also become Golga and the oddities in WWE uh, here in the Attitude Era post his WCW stint, uh, would take on Big Bubba Rogers, a.k.a. Big Boss Man. Uh, again, not as good as I'd expect from the Boss Man here. Nice power slam by Tenta for the win, uh, but the whole match was very underwhelming. One star for John Tenta versus the Boss Man. PJ, I say for this Boss Man, versus Big Bubba Rogers. That's what they're going to call him in WCW. That would have got him sued calling him Boss Man on this on the, the pay-per-view here. Yeah. Right. What'd you think? What'd you think about John Tenta versus big Bubba Rogers? It was slow and dull. It didn't yep. do anything for me. It didn't. And, uh, oh my God. When, when John Tenta's like, I'm not a fish, I'm a man. And like, he started using John Tenta. It was just really, really strange. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, Tenta enters with no music. Dusty calls them both super ugly heavyweights. <laughs> Like, yeah. I mean, geez, man, it was just weird, weird match here. And then you shave his goatee at the end. Well, yeah, yeah they, I, they, it wasn't even shave. Like, so the, so the storyline was, is that big Bubba had embarrassed John Tenta by shaving half of his head and John Tenta has long hair. So right. instead of shaving the rest of it, John Tenta wants a quote unquote reminder about what big Bubba has done to him. So he leaves his half shaven head and his half long hair and so how does he get revenge? He takes a pair of scissors to the chin beard of Big Bubba at the end of the match. I'm with you. It made no sense. Very underwhelming. Yeah, sort of, super weird. And at, least it, it, at least it only went five minutes. So, I mean, but still. It, well, it didn't fit here. Like you mentioned, there were three dark matches that went three minutes in. This is, I'm going to count them out. One, two, three, four. This is the fifth match on the card. And we still have another four matches. Like this was a long pay-per-view and that, that had to, to you know there was no reason to fit this match in 
Like this five minutes could have gone to Mysterio Malenko. It could have gone to, uh, you know, the, the, another match later in the card that we'll talk about that, that I'll mention when we get to it. But yeah, uh, it didn't fit here. It didn't make sense. The crowd wasn't there for it. I wasn't there for it. Uh, one star match here by uh, two Hall of Famers in John Tenta and uh, Big Bubba Rogers. Next up on the card is a match that I have been wanting to revisit for a very long time. It was the Falls Count Anywhere <laughs> match between Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit. And for those of you who are, are very avid wrestling fans and know what's coming, this is the match they fought into the men's restroom here in Baltimore. Uh, PJ, I'm going to let you start us off with here. What do you think about this street fight, essentially, between Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit? Uh, I loved this match because it followed after what happened at Slamboree, which was cool. <clears throat> um, you know, uh, I loved this. WD signed the match, made it. No falls count anywhere. So, yeah, the men's room you mentioned. Fight begins on the floor. The brow goes into the into the crowd, up the steps. <clears throat> he attempts to give Benoit a swirly uh, in the uh, men's room, which is cool. He, as in Kevin Sullivan, uh, pronouns. Yeah, um, I don't mean to cut you off here, but it was a totally missed opportunity that neither one of them got their head dunked in the toilet. Total yeah, missed opportunity. Uh, he tried, but, you know, Chris blocks it, returns the stall door into his face. That was fucking rough. Um Oh my God. It was really, really cool, but just weird, but I still loved it. Uh, Ryan, what's your favorite swirly spot in any match that you've, uh, that you've seen? It's so funny that you ask, because I was going to ask you, uh, PJ, what is your favorite Kevin Sullivan match? Because I, (laughs) I see, you know what it is. You know what uh, it is. It's him and Cat Jack versus Nasty Boy Slamboree, yeah. uh, Slamboree 94, 90, yeah. uh, 94. I just, besides that match, like, I guess I need to do some more Kevin Sullivan research because, yeah, this this is a, a good match for what it was supposed to be. It was a brawl. Uh, but, man, Kevin Sullivan just doesn't do it for me. Like, I don't understand. Like, I just don't think he's that good. Like, this is, the, this is what he's good for. And there were even spots in this match where I was like, is he overselling? Is he underselling? Like, what what is going on here? Uh, yeah, I mean, like Kevin Sullivan was a fantastic booker, and I think that's where it should be. But there's others that like look up some stuff that like, um, you know, like way back in the day, like there's a nice oh, steel, there's a nice steel cage match with like loser leaves Florida uh, between Dusty Rose and Kevin Sullivan. That's really good. Kevin Sullivan versus Pedro Guerrero in 1984, 85, something like that. Dutch Mantel versus Kevin Sullivan, in like 81. Uh Excuse me. So there's some out there. It's just a matter of like, there ain't a whole lot, you know, but I mean, yeah. he, he, he was there to book uh, uh, and he was, uh, and he was there to let Chris Benoit bang his, uh, bang his wife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why they, they came the the Brian Pillman angle came out where he would call him Booker man because it was, yeah, they, yeah, exactly. It was, it was that, uh, like, I love the, there's fans that crowd around the bathroom. Uh, this is probably, and I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead. This is my favorite spot of the night and we'll talk about it later on, but uh, I just have to mention it now because it's so good. There's a woman among all yes. the fans and Dusty Rhodes just oversells oh, it. He's goes, sold it there's so a lady hard. in the men's room she yeah. just stopped off and said i gotta get some relief baby i'm like <laughs> i had to rewind it i was like please peacock teach me yeah, how to rewind dude. this bullshit like oh my god it was so good uh you know nine minutes and 58 seconds this match was a lot of fun um I just really, really enjoyed it. And this is probably one of my favorites on the match as well. He continues to, um, you know, Benoit continues to attack Sullivan after the bell. Obviously, Chris Benoit gets the, gets the win here. Um, 
Love it. Really good yeah. stuff here. It, it was hilarious that he would he would he would call out that women in the bathroom. There's a woman in the restroom, Tony. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. There's a woman in the restroom. We got to we got to go in there and see what's going on. And then when they leave the restroom, it's like, now let's go in the women's restroom. Let's see what that, lo- that one looks like. We got to we got to make it. And uh, and yeah, he sold the restroom angle so hard. And uh, and yeah, you mentioned, you know, it made his way back to the ring. Eventually, um, Benoit brought a table into the match that I, I maybe they were trying to break it. Maybe they weren't because they would set it up on the top rope and uh, it would eventually set up for the, the table superplex off the top rope in which Jimmy Hart and Randy Anderson would help stabilize the table. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was for what it was. It was a really good match. I gave it two stars just because like. Again, looking at through a 2021 lens, it's it didn't really excite me that the bathroom spot being, you know, so original back then was was really unique. Um, you mentioned after the match, um, the uh, the the beatdown starts and there was this there was a storyline between the Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen working together. Arn Anderson comes out, rips Chris Benoit off of Kellum and Sullivan. He says, no, this is how you do it. And then like football punts him in the stomach and they would, yeah. they would beat him down. It was a really fun spot. And then afterwards you'd get a promo by the four horsemen here. Uh, I said, nothing, nothing beats a good Arn Anderson promo. Uh, I do don't, I do not remember him being in such good shape. Like he wasn't, you know, he wasn't, he looked, cut. he did look good. Yeah. He wasn't cut like Luger or like Hogan, but he, I mean, he looked when they talk about dad bod, like Arn Anderson had a dad bod and he pulled it off with, with his gimmick. So good stuff here. Uh, I, I really love a good Arn Anderson promo. So um, I love the uh, the jeans talking to um, to Bobby Heenan here, and he says Bobby is scared, and Bobby claims he's not afraid of Macho, and then he says it's not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen to me. Like the way he like like goes together, like just puts it together. Oh my god, Heenan is just so amusing and uh, very very funny. And I love he's like appears, you know. Flair gets another great line to share with everyone. He's like, there's a lot of things Macho would like to do that he can't do anymore. Right, Liz? I was like, well, God damn it. He can, he's, he's just so good. You always forget how great Ric Flair really is. Uh, on a side note, woman spent a lot of the promo touching Gene. I don't know if you saw that, but it did. It was really weird. She did that um, a lot. And if you go back yeah. and watch a lot of the promos where she was there with somebody, be it Ric Flair or Benoit, she was always like rubbing on his, on his vest, like on the lapel of his vest. It was, it was so like, it was like she was trying to make him uncomfortable. Like, let me see if I can give uh, Gene Oakland a boner in the middle of this promo. Like it was hilarious. No. I mean, he probably, she did. She probably did poor Gene, but yeah. yeah, I thought the great promo though. And yeah, you're right. Nothing does beat an Arn Anderson promo. Totally agree with you. Yeah. Uh, next up on the card here, uh, a, again, a match that could have taken some of that five minutes away from this John Tenta uh, big, big Bubba bullshit. Lord Steven Regal taking on Sting. Sting is is about to transition. What we you know we'll get later into the show, but not long after this, Sting would start transitioning to his crow Sting. So he's growing his hair out. He's lost the crew cut. Lord Steven Regal is young. I want to say at this point he's in his early twenties. But uh, man, this was oh, this was so good. Uh, I love a young Steven. <laughs> it Regal. really was. Uh, I love the throwback uh, to this era sting. I said it was fantastic too. Uh, there was a point where, you know, I mentioned the homophobic promo, the borderline homophobic promo that sting cut. Uh, he let's call it a hip thrust that he gave Regal in the middle of the match 
was a little funny to me. Again, it's it's done by Sting, and that's not what I'm used to seeing Sting at, at right. the older I got. Uh, nevertheless, uh, Regal as a submission master, like they even made a comment in the show, and you know, on commentary that he might need not he might not be the man of a thousand holds, uh, but he's got to be close. Uh, really good match, matches here. Uh, Sting had an impressive comeback uh, later in the match. Uh, that would eventually fall uh, fall short to the Regal stretch. Um, it was again, it was a fun spot seeing the Regal stretch. It didn't make sense that he broke it, uh, but you know you've got to get the right guy getting the win here. And Sting would get a huge pop for the Scorpion Deathlock to take the win. I gave this match again three and a half stars because it was a very very fun throwback to what wrestling could have been for some of the matches on this card. And again, it could have gone longer, and I wouldn't have been upset about it. PJ Steven. Your thoughts, Sting versus Lord Steven Regal. This was terrific. I mean, this was just really, really great. This is the best story, uh, uh, story told match in, in the entire pay-per-view. Uh, they go about 16 minutes here, a little over. Um, love the comeback that Sting makes. I love stirring Sting's entrance. It also looks like the pyro, like, surprise Sting. He, like, turns around. He's like, holy shit. Like, I don't know if you noticed that. But I'm I thought big that was time cool. now. I got the pyro. Yeah, right. He's <laughs> like, oh, shit. I had the big time now. I got the pyro. And um, love every time I see the Stinger splash. Great stuff. Uh, but, of course, it's blocked um, by Regal. Backdrop. I think this is one of the first times we start seeing the Scorpion death drop as well. Um, and then Sting, yeah, gets uh, – get, or he put – Sting puts Steven <laughs> into the Scorpion Deathlock for the win. I love to. They worked the crowd so perfectly. They were so hot for this match. You mentioned the big pop when you put in the Scorpion Death Drop or Deathlock rather. These two worked super well together. Um, I, I think it was fantastic. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. You know, if we talk about matches on, on whenever we review shows, we talk about matches that you need to see. Uh, this might not be like a five star match. But if you really want to see how good William Regal was this young, this would be a great match to go back and watch. The fact of the matter is that, in my opinion, William Regal, Lord Stephen Regal, whoever you want to refer him to, uh, to him as, is probably the most underrated wrestler of all time. He was never a world champion. Uh, he came over to WCW. He got into some trouble with Sinoff. He came into WWE in a brief stint as... Uh, the man's man. He's a man. You know, that whole gimmick. Such a man. Yeah. So uh, I just, I, I, I think our generation appreciates what he brought to wrestling, but I'm not sure of the generation before him or even the, the generation now growing up watching wrestling will ever truly appreciate what he brought to professional wrestling and maybe what sort of push he would, he should have gotten because he was a great heel. Even during the match, he was running his mouth like, Oh, this is your American hero. You know, I'm not going to try to do a British accent cause it's God awful. But like this, this is, <laughs> this is what an American speaking like. He's got him in a headlock looking at the camera. Like this is what a, this is what your American hero looks like. This is what, this is all you've got. Uh, I mean, just, he's so good. And I just, I'm yeah. disappointed that he didn't get a bigger push either in WCW or WWE for that matter. Cause like, I feel like this is a guy, I mean, they gave Christian a world title run in WWE, like no disrespect to Christian. He is a hall of famer. Um, he can talk, you know, he's, he's entertaining, but if Christian was a world champion, you've got to expect William Regals to have been world champion at some point. Uh, so uh, again, a little side note, a little, little tangent there. 
sorry to, to break off from the rest of it, but I just, I had to mention that, that if there's a match on this card that you go back and watch, I would suggest Sting versus William Regal because William Regal is, is a phenomenal athlete, especially with his young and, you know, hypothetically as green as he was then like, you know, he started wrestling like 15, 16, but he was still in his early twenties breaking into a, a major company at the time. Like that's, that's a big deal, especially against a guy like sting on a pay-per-view, like the great American bash, which is a good spot. So again, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you're saying as well with it. Like he should have had a title run. Um, I think that it would, it would have happened if he didn't have the demons that he had at the time that he obviously had taken care of later. Um, Great match, though, uh, as we talked about earlier, man. And when you talk about Sting, when he says, like, is this your American hero? Is this your hero? That's the constant when it comes to Sting. You know, when you talk about longevity, you talk about guys like Sting. When you talk about the heroes of the business and you talk about the heroes, even in storytelling, storytelling aspects, Sting's always the hero. You know, during the 97 uh, Starcade, um, which we'll do one day. <laughs> Um, of course, Hogan, absolutely. Yeah, with Hogan is Sting in the main event, which fell flat. But you know, Hogan's got Sting in the quarter, like, "Come on, hero! Come on, hero!" And it's like, there's the Sting is always the hero. He's always the constant. So I, I noticed that though when you were talking about him having the headlock saying "hero," um, it just makes me love Sting so much more. And God, I, I love that wrestler so much. He is still got to be my favorite. And watching this match here, I mean, God, he really brought it, and so did Regal, respectively. Yeah, great match here. Uh, which leads into, I mean, I'm, I'm going to let you start us off and let you, let us know how you feel about this match because I had mixed emotions about the next match on the card. We get a, a basically an NFL versus WCW tag team match as Ric Flair and Arn Anderson take on Steve Mongo McMichael, uh, who played football in the, in, and won a Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears, and the late, great Kevin Green, who was my favorite football player growing up because not only was he a pro well, getting into pro wrestling, but he – would play for the Carolina Panthers. And as a kid, that was the closest thing we had to a home team. So I still remember wearing my Kevin Green Carolina Panthers jersey to elementary school. Uh, <laughs> I, I, before, before I let you get into it, uh, you mentioned Bobby Heenan was involved in the promo with them earlier. Bobby Heenan uh, had retired from managing, quote-unquote, but would be coaching the horsemen yeah. in this match. And you had Macho Man Randy Savage on the other side. And Macho Man coming to the ring, uh, no cowboy hat. Uh, he, he was in a like a like a t-shirt with with um, frilled sleeves. I said, "Man, it looks like Macho Man's in his PJs." Uh, <laughs> there's a very iconic moment here late in the match, but I'm not going to give it away because PJ, I want to let you give us your opinions on this tag team match between the four horsemen: Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, and Steve Mongo McMichael and Kevin Green. The buildup was so good. You know, the gridiron versus the legend, the legends of the gridiron versus the legends of the ring. You know, uh, I did. I cringed when Michael Weber said the woman, ah, just woman. Yeah, it's just on. woman. But anyway, um, the match was okay. It went too long. We've got 20 minutes and 51 seconds. I'm pretty sure it's the longest match on the card. I think it went way too long. It, uh, good spots. You get Benoit coming back out. Anytime I get to see Benoit again, it's fun. He goes for Randy. Um, God, Kevin Green can move. That yeah, fucker can I, move, man. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I did write it in my notes about the Benoit Savage. I wish we could have gotten a series. Yeah. Between, yeah. you know, uh, between uh, Benoit and, and Randy Savage, because I feel like they could have put on some classics. Uh, but nevertheless, yeah, continue. Didn't mean to cut you off, but I didn't want to miss I also, that. No, no, you're fine. 
Uh, I also love the comment from Tony here. He talks about Mongo switching football teams for the money. Like, hmm, whatever. What's some, is that some foreshadowing? So why seats, would you even brother. mention Ooh, that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm like, come on, dude. So uh, <laughs> we get some decent spots here. Again, right when you say, right when I was like, this is going way too long, we get the big spot. Mongo, uh, uh, excuse me, Deborah approaches her husband with a briefcase. Mongo opens in to find money and a horseman t shirt. Kevin Green calls out for hell. We get Mongo that fucking clocks him with a briefcase. Flair gets the cover for the win. And it makes me think with the horseman always going to recruit um, Mongo? Or like, I mean, was it pre-planned? Like, because it's weird because I hate matches to where like two people are fighting and that one person joins the other person. Cause it's like, you were just beating the fuck out of me in the ring like a second ago. And all of a sudden you want to be on my team. Like if it was pre-planned, then the argument could be like, well, if it was pre-planned, then he shouldn't even have the tag. Kind of like Scott Hall, Scott, Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner, when Scott Steiner joined the outsiders, Scott yeah. Steiner, Scott Steiner didn't attack anyone he got the tag and came in and attacked his brother, you know, which that, that psychology made sense. This just did not. Um, but the match was okay. I just love seeing Kevin green out there, honestly, and Flair and Anderson also, that's an amazing match, but um, I like the story of the finish, but I didn't really, I really don't care about Mongo joining the horseman at all. I think he is super underwhelming, poor guy. Uh, but God, Kevin green was impressive. Really, really enjoyed that part. And uh, I love Dusty at the end. Uh, it says it rots his stomach that Mongo is the fourth horseman. You know, Jesus Christ, everybody. Yeah, he even made uh, a comment about him. This is he shook. He just shook Bobby Heenan's hand. Like they they go back and forth on Nitro every Monday. Like how are you gonna shake his hand? That's despicable. You know. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the psychology behind having this, the, 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 the turn at the end of the match after they've been fighting this whole time. Um, I'm going to go through my notes real quick. Cause I do want to touch on that. I don't ever remember Mongo being in any gear other than black shorts. If you've been what, listening to the show for a while, <laughs> I, I enjoy looking at the ring gear and it looked like he was trying to go for like a Chicago bears, like, like Brown, like that, that, that. Yeah. But because they reason, were weird, they were like weird little shorts, right? They had 76 on the side yeah. of them. Right. And they yeah. uh, and the, the tights came up a little more pink or salmon than I think he was going for. But anyway, uh, he would go to the more iconic, if you want to call them iconic, black trunks later on. Um, I loved Arn Anderson, like they because Mongo and, and Kevin Green were going back and forth doing like football drills before, like before the match to like kind of psych him up. And Arn in the middle of the match, he does something to Mongo when he starts doing jumping jacks. I thought it was fucking hilarious. Um, also. I, I picked up on Flair really talking to Mongo during the match, doing a really good job trying to coach him and walk him through the match because you can tell how just green and, and I don't know, unsophisticated Mongo is in the ring. <laughs> That's a word for it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Green, uh, he kept hitting these shoulder tackles on both Arn and Flair that I'm like, he's going to kill Arn Anderson. Like, yeah. there was one time where Arn was like on his hands and knees, maybe. And Kevin Green came diving in like he was diving for a fumble. Like, just wow. Um, uh, I, we mentioned Benoit Macho Man. I, I did like that spot. I, I thought it was a unique, unique uh, swerve at the end. So uh, to paint the picture, uh, ben, Benoit comes in uh, to attack Macho Man. And w- there's a bunch of commotion going on. And to start the match, you had Kevin Green's wife and Deborah McMichael coming out uh, to support their husbands. And you had woman and Miss Elizabeth out with Flair and Anderson. 
And in the match, when all the commotion was going on, the, the, the flare ladies basically rushed off the, the football ladies. Well, as the match progresses towards the end of the match, all of a sudden, Deborah Michael no longer has the Bears jacket on. She's in an evening gown dressed like the other women, and she's got a briefcase in her hand. And she tells, she goes to Mongo, and you can hear her on camera, we got to take the money. We got to take the money. And like you said, the seed was planted early in the match that we, I asked Mongo, why would you go to the Packers, which is an, an arch rival of the Bears? Because the money, baby. And so she opens up the briefcase, and on top is a Four Horsemen t-shirt stacked with money. Uh, he pulls, holds the $100 bill up to the ceiling to make sure it's real. Just the briefcase as, as Kevin Green is reaching out for him, and he clocks Kevin Green and ultimately joins the Four Horsemen. So back, I thought you mentioned the storytelling in a match. I thought I understand your point about the psychology not being like, okay, why would you fight the entire match? But it was almost like they saw throughout the match, hey, like we need because Bobby Heenan's on the outside too. So we didn't see them talk him talking to the ladies on the outside, but he could have said something ladies like, hey, we got to get this mind Mongo on our team. And so they go back there, like we don't ever know what happens to Kevin Green's wife, but it was like mid-match, they decide, you know what, we need to turn Mongo. And Mongo is only motivated by money, and that's where he turns. So I understand that the, the first concept, like don't attack your opponents if you're going to turn and join them anyway. But I also enjoyed the psychology of, you know what, like we can't, you know, you're, you're too strong for us. You're too powerful. We're just going to, you know, you're going to join the horsemen. And he would, he would put on the T-shirt at the end of the match and shake hands with everybody and all this stuff. I enjoyed it. Now, that's not to say that I enjoy Mongo. Uh, God rest his soul. He's still living, but he's in really bad shape. He is probably one of the worst wrestlers in the history of professional wrestling. <laughs> Damn, that's harsh. Come on, Frick. Dude, I, again, like, I, I loved him when he was on commentary. He always had Pepe, the little, the original Pepe, the chihuahua that he'd bring with him on commentary. Um, you know, he, he, he was a good talker. We'll give him that. Uh, but like, just as far as his work in the ring, I don't know how he ever won the United States championship. Uh, he just, he was clumsy on Anderson's podcast. He talks about the fact that Mongo never trained to be a wrestler. It shows. Um, and so <laughs> like, again, I got nothing wrong with him personally and, and God, again, God willing, like power to you for doing what you love doing and, and joining this business. I mean, DDP didn't start wrestling until he was in his thirties. Okay. So Mongo after his football career started on commentary to get in the ring. Like if you want to do what you want to do and you get that opportunity, I never want to stray, stray away from somebody taking it. Um, but I mean, honestly to me, and this is going to sound really bad and I may be, I may be exaggerating and I may be getting killed on, on social media, but I would equate Mongo's talent to that of David Arquette. Like, oh, like come David, on. Dave, and I, David I don't mean, I, so I don't mean David Arquette like when he won the world title. I mean David Arquette like, okay, this is something I want to try, right? So I, I think David Arquette, he, he wanted to live a dream and be a wrestler. So after the whole WCW debacle, uh, you know, he went and trained, got better in the ring, whatever the case was. But I would, again, I would argue that Mongo was, was one of the worst wrestlers to ever win a championship in WCW. And that's where the, the Stephen Arquette kind of thing comes from. I'm sorry, the David Arquette thing no, comes from. I, I, you know, it's funny. Um, 
I'm just mad you insulted David Arquette like that. <laughs> <laughs> David Arquette's the greatest world champion in WCW history. Now I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, like, you got a pinball victory over over Eric Bischoff. I mean, good guy. Vince, you should have just Mann put him in there. A pinball win over Eric Bischoff, dude. Uh, God damn. Eric, Eric, Eric Bischoff would have beaten the shit out of Vincent Mann had he showed up to that pay-per-view. Remember? He would have, too. He, he would have kicked him in the stomach so hard he would have puked. Well, speaking of Eric Bischoff, that's what we're transitioning to next. By the Ooh, way, here I we go. This, I gave this match three and a half stars, but transitioning to uh, the penultimate segment here of of the Great American Bash, the Outsiders have invaded WCW. Scott Hall has come on Monday Nitro a few times and finally brought his big man and uh, big sexy Kevin Nash. Yep. Uh, they they the, the look at the adjective. Play. Look at the Wait, adjective. Play. play. Oh, well, plays my... on an ad. Plays on an adjective there. Now, anyway, yeah, yeah, that is my favorite line of all time because, like, he convinced Sid Vicious to say, "I'm or you, you're not half the man that I am, and I've got half and the brain I got half do. the brain that you do." <laughs> but Kevin Kevin Nash on his first promo back in WCW as like, oh not man, is look at the adjective play. We ain't here to play. Like, okay, okay, Kevin. That's a verb. And elementary school kids that are watching this program are all lighting you up. If there was and now, media, and now like, they're failing English because yeah, of that. Like fifth, fifth graders, fifth graders all around the world were like, but Mrs. Johnson, Kevin Nash said play was an adjective. I don't get it. Like anyway, um, Mrs. J- Mrs. Johnson said every time Kevin Nash fucks up a promo and Angel gets his wings. Yeah. So, and so cuts, yeah, a, so, cut, cuts a bad promo and tears his quad. Angels have a lot of wings. Yeah. So, so again, so this is this is the uh, this is the buildup to the formation of the NWO. Uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall laid out a challenge, a six man tag at some point, and Eric Bischoff interviews them, verifies they don't work for WWF because there was a, a, a lawsuit sort of behind the scenes going on because Scott Hall came out using the Razor Ramon gimmick, at least the voice. Uh, and I, I wrote down that I think this might be the first time that he broke that Razor Ramon voice gimmick uh, in WCW. But he said, I want to make sure you don't work with the WWF. And they both said no. And so, well, don't worry. You're going to find out who your opponents are on Nitro tomorrow night. And Scott Hall says, you're not going to jerk us around and punches him right in the stomach. Yeah. Kevin Nash power bombs him through the table. And we have the official start of what would be the new world order of professional wrestling, brother. PJ, what are your memories about this moment in WCW and in pro wrestling history? I thought it was awesome. Uh, I loved it. I love the, you know, is it going to be the nacho man or the immortal huckster, the big man and the medium sized man are going to carve them up, you know, um, love. He's pretty much just doing the razor Ramon shtick. Uh, I, I hate all the, there's a lot of denim in that damn promo. A lot of denim, uh, you know, denim jean jacket or denim vest, rather de- denim jeans. Then you, you get hate on the Canadian tuxedo, bro. Oh my, is that what it's called? Oh, good God. Yeah, you never um, heard of the tu- Canadian tuxedo? Yeah, no, I haven't. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what it's called. I, I would have thought that was like a Southern, Southern thing, a Southern tuxedo. Oh, please. Well, when, when I introduced the next match, look it up. The Canadian tuxedo was an all denim baby. Um, but oh, yeah, brother. no, I'm right there with you, man. It was, it was one of those things that like, you know, they mention and, and they made such a big deal out of Stone Cold Steve Austin's first stunner to Vince McMahon. Yeah. I don't, and I think Vader might've gotten to touch Gorilla Monsoon before, uh, but Monsoon was also a former wrestler. This might be 
like the biggest physicality put on an executive to this point in, in the business as Kevin Nash puts Eric Bischoff through a table off the stage. Uh, what a fun spot and a, and a way to build that NWO story that would eventually come the next month of Bash on the Beach. Good yeah, that, that was a bad, that was a bad fucking spot, man. Like that was a nasty landing. Uh, I, that Bischoff took, I got to give it to him. I love Hall then saying the real big boys just left the building. Um, I love the little part. Like he asked, like if they actually work for WWF, you know, and then both men say, no, it's like, man, like, I wonder if that was to just appease WWF's legal team or some shit, you know, oh, 100% um, was. Yeah. That was, that was the deal is that like the WCW was trying to play that he had these WWF guys invading. And Vincent man says, you can't like make it look like we're invading because you're pulling ratings based off of, our players gimmicks like that's not okay and that's exactly what they were doing like we have to make it very clear on tv that these guys are not affiliated with this man so that they can't sue us because we we're you know arguing that they are so that's exactly how, yeah um it, this is going to lead us up into the main event and i really hate how it does uh the main <sighs> the main event yeah. features the giant and lex luger for the wcw world title uh but man they're still they're still tending to eric bischoff when the when the competitors are coming out, I mean, you got you got Lex Luger interrupting his entrance to go check on Bischoff, and then you've got the Giant and Jimmy Hart coming down, and Jimmy Hart keeps looking back at, at Eric Bischoff like, you couldn't have just let them get Eric Bischoff off on the stretcher before you started the world title match. You know, I think they were running out of time, uh, Frank. That's what I think because his music, because uh, Luger's music ends before he even reaches the ring. Like they gotta be low on time. That's well, gotta be what it is. Which is no excuse. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know? When you have a five minute bullshit match between Earthquake and Big Boss Man that it doesn't fit on the show, that's another five minutes that you could use to get Eric Bischoff off the damn stage before you started the main event. Anyway. Well, 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 God, well, goddamn, pal, you gotta have Earthquake on there man yeah we gotta, gotta have the good the, you gotta have the goatee cut man we got we gotta have the half the half long hair john tentaba you know you know we, you know john, we yeah. john 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 tentata joe oh, tenta i think he said something john, else <laughs> john fucking tenta okay or like, earthquake we, how do you have a wcw pay-per-view without john fucking tenta you know i mean he, why why wasn't he main eventing what's your favorite john tenta match ryan <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember the match. I know it was uh, when he was Golga for the WWF. He had a he had a trading card where he was sitting on somebody. That was my favorite match, and I don't know who he was sitting on. Uh, he used to come out there with the little with the Eric Cartman thing, right? Eric Cartman um, shirt, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, was it a shirt, or did he have a doll? No, he had. Um, it was an Eric Cart. He was. He would wear like I think it was tan pants. Somebody's gonna have to look it up for us. I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure. That he wore an Eric Cartman shirt to wrestle in, which is fantastic. No, you're you're probably you're 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 right. That was what what the oddities or whatever. The oddities, him and Kurgan and Luna Vachon. Yeah, he did. So he came out with the South Park shirt and the, the respect my authority. And then they're right here. There's an there's an Eric Cartman doll that he came out with as well. That's Motherfucker so awesome. was on about South Park. They should have maybe paid him a little bit of a piece of that pie. Yeah. Can you imagine that them actually putting Golga on South Park at the time? It, it would have been, you know, the crossover. It would have worked, dude, especially for that period. Oh, of my God. Anyway. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the promotion. Bruce! Bruce! Yeah. Get him anyway. on South Park. Anyway, like we said, main event here, the Giant defending against uh, Lex Luger for the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, PJ, I'm going to let you start us off here. I've done enough talking. Uh, How do you feel about this? The Giant versus Lex Luger 
for the <laughs> WCW World Heavyweight Championship. This match shouldn't have been evented. Oh, 100%. I think I think I think it should have come before that. I think the tag back should have main evented, and then that promo with uh, Kevin Ash puts uh, Bischoff through the table should have ended it. Uh, I think this should have the camera should have ended with them checking on Bischoff. Is he okay? Is he going to be okay? Blah 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 blah. This match was rough. The, the punches that, you know, Luger is trying to use a sleeper hold on Giant. Jimmy Hart tries to interfere, but Sting chases him to the back. Love seeing Sting anytime, which because wasn't Sting and Luger tag team champions here. And, and Luger was the team and still Luger was the TV champion, right? Yep. That's correct. Um, so, I mean, he clips Giant's legs, uh, clips Giant's leg and Luger follows with a clothesline running forearm. Love seeing those forearms, I will say. Uh, Lex Luger did a great uh, um, lariat. Um, he, he, she attempts to torture rack. Oh my God. It yeah, looks dude. so rough. He, he collapses under giant's weight. Obviously giant hits him with a choke slam for a clean win on Lex Luger. I mean, this is a young giant. I mean, he's gotta be like mid twenties at this moment. I believe I want to say and, like 22. He was super now, young. I mean, he. I don't think he's even done his fucking uh, water boy uh, um, thing yet. Maybe, maybe this is shortly after. Oh, I'm gonna deck your halls, bub. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, kind of like what you said. I, I forgot he was in that fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. So oh, no, my God. I, uh, I I wrote in my notes. Is it just me or is Lex Luger freaking stiff? I swear to God, it drove me nuts. Every single time he threw or took a punch he screamed go back and watch the match every uh, uh, every single time he threw a punch he screamed. i swear it's to like god he, it's like he was it's, it's like he was like playing tennis like when, yeah, when people play tennis 100 percent. it drove me bonkers yeah it, it just wasn't an interesting match it was anticlimactic uh they had a big tag match a big angle everyone the you know the crowd was already like blown up and then you bring in this, and it's like, shit, dude, I, I'm going to go take a dump. Like, oh, Matt, the event's over? Sweet. That's the main event? All yeah. right, let me, get to my, let me get to my car early. They went nine minutes and 21 seconds. It still could have been shorter. I mean, like, God, if you want to keep Giant strong, just do a damn squash match. Yeah, I mean, squash. like, yeah. I mean, squash Luger. I hate to say it, but damn, let's just let's speed it up here, baby. The event, well, I think it fell flat. Yeah, the uh, there was there was two spots where Luger collapsed. One, he tried the Hogan Andre spot where he picked Giant up and would collapse, and Giant would get the pin the pin attempt. And then at the end of the match, uh, Giant would miss a splash that would land him on the top rope. And like you said, Luger tried to Luger tried to rack him and collapsed. That would lead to the the choke slam. I like the finish here. I gave the match two and a half stars just because for what it was. But again, Luger's Luger screaming uh, drove me. Again, just insane. Every single time he got kicked or punched or every time he threw a punch or kick, it was just this this obnoxious yell that just, okay, dude, we get it. Like, you're a wrestler and you got to make everything look intense, but this is a little much here. Um, and so, I, uh, you know, you mentioned that he tried the sleeper hold. I have another botch of the night nominee where he missed that basic jump off, like, the second rope. It looked like he was trying <laughs> to jump on the giant for the sleeper hold and just completely whiffed. And then he's like, I'm yeah. going to climb on your back. Give me a piggyback ride. That was um, weird. Yeah, dude. Like, uh, the, again, the finish made sense, but like you said, it just, it, it fell flat. The match, the match went too long. Uh, or the match, the match could have gone, but at the same time, the match could have gone longer. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I agree completely with you. The tag team match to close out the show. 
uh, or at least that should have been the last match on the card. And then the Eric Bischoff spot should have closed out the show. Uh, you know, hindsight being 2020, it, it could have worked that way. But nevertheless, uh, that's your show. The Giant retains and is still world heavyweight champion uh, moving forward here. Um, that was the Great American Bash 1996. PJ, do you have anything else that you want to add about the show that we haven't already discussed? And re- remember to feel free to say no because we, we hit a bunch on this pay-per-view. Yeah, there's not really much to it, honestly. I mean, the match was good. Um, or excuse me, the, the pay-per-view was good. A lot of good here. The only really bad was just the tent to Bubba and the fucking main event. I think Chris Benoit really showed his stuff in this pay-per-view. Great, uh, great offense by him and great storytelling. I think the cruiserweight match was fantastic. I mean, a lot of good on this pay-per-view. It really, really was. And we're just heating up, man. 96, 97 were great years for WCW and we're just getting started. Uh, really, really, um, you know, going through what, what was an 83 weeks that they started beating uh, WWF. We're just getting there. And now we're about to pull the cover off the entire uh, exhibition with Hogan turning uh, for the NWO and turning its back on WCW. Cause that's the next pay-per-view uh, bash to the beach, obviously 96, which is uh, obviously amazing. So really good stuff here. I did enjoy the pay-per-view. Yeah, I can, I can completely agree. I think if you had to pinpoint a pay-per-view that honestly started what would be the 83 week domination of WCW over WWF. Um, if you wanted to pinpoint a pay-per-view that, that sort of began that WCW dominance and that mainstream feel, one could argue that it was this pay-per-view based off of the, the moment between Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, uh, to Eric, you know, power bombing Eric Bischoff. It again, everything was built off of this pay-per-view that, okay, like we're not playing around anymore. You know, we're here for war. You don't want to tell us who we're fighting, then, you know, we'll beat your ass and we'll tell us, you know, we'll tell you who we're going to fight. So it was a really good show. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm glad we got to go back and watch Bash of, <laughs> Bash of the Beach. I'm glad that we went to go. Let me start this over. I'm glad that we got to go back and watch the Great American Bash 1996. PJ, thanks for being on the show. You got any any concerts or any any shows to, to plug here? Uh, before we let you go for the day. Yeah, we're actually, uh, we're playing a show July 31st. Um, and it's our rematch with us and a band called Obvious Liars who um, have been poking the bear a little bit too much and it's time for them to get what they deserve. And uh, we're going to be having our big rematch July 31st at Trolley Pub here in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. And that's going to be really fun. I'm really looking forward to um uh, getting in Pedro's face and making him cry. If he listen, and he he does listen to this podcast. So if he hears me, um, yeah, uh, bring it on, buddy, because uh, it's it's not going to last too much longer. And it's going to be as bad at entertaining as the Tenta and Bubba match because it's not going to last that long. Because you're going to be flat on that stage, buddy. Game over. That's all that's, I got to say, Ryan. That's what I like to hear. Go follow them on social media. Uh, search for Guardians Warlock uh, for PJ Steven. It's your guy, Bully Rice. Coming up next, uh, we're going to preview the AFC North for the 2021 season. Stick around and check it out. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome to the main event of the evening, the main event of the show here today. 
your AFC North preview. Before we get started, just a quick reminder of where you can find me on social media. You can go to Twitter, at Tapouts and TDs. On Facebook, search for at Tapouts and Touchdowns and email to the show, tapoutsandtouchdowns at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed the, the recap and the revisit of the Great American Bash 1996 with yours truly and PJ Steven. But without further ado, let's get right into it. The AFC North preview for the upcoming 2021 football season. As in every other recap of every other division, we're going to start from the worst first. And the fourth place team in the AFC North this year will be none other than the same team who finished dead last last season, the Cincinnati Bengals. In 2020, they went 4-11-1 and lost star rookie quarterback Joe Burrow to a torn ACL and MCL in Week 11. Want to look at losses on their roster? They lost cornerback Mackenzie Alexander to the Minnesota Vikings, kicker Randy Bullock, wide receivers John Ross, and A.J. Green, who was drafted in uh, the first round by Cincinnati many, many years ago, will be his first season in Arizona. They also lost defensive end Carl Lawson to New England and also longtime running back uh, draft pick from Cincinnati, Gio Bernard, who is now in Tampa Bay. Some key ads here. They got cornerback Mike Hilton from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Chidobe Awuzi from Dallas, the cornerback. Defensive end Trey Hendrickson out of New Orleans. Uh, uh, something that kind of hurts me. Riley Reef, offensive tackle out of Detroit. Cornerback Eli Apple from Carolina. And safety Ricardo Allen from Atlanta. Their top three picks in the NFL draft saw the number five overall pick. And wide receiver Lamar Chase, who we'll get to in a minute, played with Joe Burrow the year that the LSU Tigers won the national championship in college football. The second round pick, number 46 overall, they took Jackson Carmen, a defensive tackle out of Clemson. And then in the third round at 69 overall out of Texas defensive end, Joseph Asai. In 2021, remember in 2020, they went 4-11-1. In 2021, I see them going 5-12. So not much of, I mean, it's actually an improvement. I mean, that's an extra win. Yeah, it's an extra loss, but they also have an extra game this season. So a couple quick notes to jot it down. Again, Joe Burrow got hurt in week 11, 20 ACL and MCL. His rehab is still ongoing, and he might not be ready for week one, or he might not be be healthy for week one, potentially putting quarterback Brandon Allen to start the season. Uh, I do think that when Joe Burrow gets to 100%, this offense is going to be fire. Uh, no more Giovanni Bernard means this is the Joe Mixon show. They also uh, signed a running back Samaj P. Ryan, best known for his work in Washington, uh, giving him some breathers and a three-headed monster at wide receiver. Despite losing speedy wide receiver John Ross and longtime veteran A.J. Green, they've got Tyler Boyd, who has shown to be a serviceable wide receiver, uh, second-year player out of Clemson, T. Higgins, and r- rookie Jamar Chase, who had a very good rapport with Joe Burrow in LSU. If I'm not mistaken, he was the the college football's best receiver uh, in that national championship run. Uh, they also had some significant additions to what was an atrocious defense. Uh, but again, without Joe Burrow, this team is going to struggle early and it's going to carry on late into the season. I've got them with wins over Jacksonville in week four, the New York Jets in week eight, and three late wins as they get healthy down the stretch against San Francisco at Denver in week 15 and an upset win over Cleveland in week 18, the Cincinnati Bengals finishing fourth in 2021 at 5-12. and 12. 
Moving right along here, the third place team in the AFC North would go to none other than the Baltimore Ravens. Now, in 2020, they finished second in the AFC North and lost to the Bills in the divisional round, 17 to three, going 11 and five in 2020. Uh, some key losses: backup quarterback RG3 is no longer here, as well as wide receiver DeAnthony Thomas. Uh, biggest loss I would imagine on this offense comes from running back Mark Ingram, who is now with the Houston Texans. They they also lost wide receiver uh, Willie Sneed. A couple of defensive players, uh, Yannick Ngaku, uh, went to Vegas, as well as safety Jaron Curse in Dallas. Uh, they also lost some key offensive linemen in DJ Fluker to Miami, uh, and or uh, oh, offensive lineman Orlando Brown was traded uh, prior to the NFL draft. Some key additions here, a wide receiver, Sammy Watkins out of Kansas City, an offensive tackle, this is their biggest ad, Alejandro Villanueva out of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, their notice, noticeable draft picks come in the first round, both of, of which came in the first round. Number 27 overall, wide receiver Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, and number 31 overall, outside linebacker from Penn State, Odafe Owe. Uh, you can come for me if I get that wrong, but it is what it is. So again, in 2020, they went 11 and five. I've got them going eight and nine here in 2021. Now I, I wrote down here in my notes that Lamar Jackson had the sophomore slump that I expected him to have in 2020. And it didn't really help that the run game never took off considering they had former Heisman trophy winner and, and veteran running back in Mark Ingram and stud rookie running back JK Dobbins. I mentioned Mark Ingram is no longer here means is the JK Dobbins show along with Gus Edwards getting a little bit more work here, especially in the pass game. Uh, there wasn't much pass catching last year. Uh, they expected Mark Andrews to be that stud tight end. That's why they let Hayden Hurst go to the Atlanta Falcons. Granted, I, th I want to say Mark Andrews was a top five tight end in fantasy last year, but it didn't really translate to, to wins or, or, or anything like that for the Ravens. Um, and their wide receivers, like the wide receiver room was atrocious. Hollywood Brown was the only one to come about. Um, and, you know, they added, again, Rashad Bateman in the draft in the first round and uh, Sammy Watkins, who stays hurt uh, here in the offseason. So I'm not really sure how much help Lamar Jackson is going to get out of his receivers again this year or if they can pick up their running game from where they left off uh, maybe in the end of last year. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the offense is, is going to continue to struggle as defenses – uh, can can get to the quarterback and make make Lamar Jackson make mistakes. He's more of a running quarterback, as we all known. He was the MVP of the league two years ago, but you know, last year I think is a sign of things to come for Lamar Jackson. He had a really solid year, the year that he won the Heisman at Louisville, and the next year came back down to earth. So, nevertheless, an offense that is not going to be as good as it was two years ago, uh, coming into twenty twenty one. Again, I've got them eight and nine. It's not much of a drop off from eleven wins to eight, but with that extra game, means an extra loss for a team who can't really afford not to be progressing in this division with a young up and coming team in the Bengals, uh, Cleveland Browns team, and a Pittsburgh Steelers team. We'll get to them in a minute. Are are going to be good and, and set up here for the next few years? Um, I've only got them with one win over a team with a winning record, as they get an upset win, or I wouldn't even call it an upset win. I went over Cleveland. In week 14, the rest of their schedule, the rest of their the other seven wins are against all teams who have are going to have losing records here in 2021. The Baltimore Ravens picked to go third at eight and nine here in the AFC North. Uh, moving right along here, number two finishing uh, this year in the AFC North 
are none other than the Cleveland Browns, who in 2020 finished 11-5, and good enough for third in the AFC North, lost in the divisional round to Kansas City after winning their wild card game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, lost to Kansas City 22-17. to uh, Not many losses to talk about, especially considering who they added. Uh, losses defensive end Adrian Claiborne, defensive tackles Larry Ogunjobi, who has gone moved on to Cincinnati, and defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson no longer here. But listen to these additions on this defensive line. Defensive end Jadavian Clowney, former Gamecock great, uh, coming out of the Tennessee Titans, and defensive tackle Malik Jackson out of Philadelphia. Also had a pretty decent draft their first three rounds. Cornerback Greg Newsom II, number 26 overall out of Northwestern. Linebacker Jeremiah Awusu Karamura. Uh, that's, that's, I'm going to butch that. Koromoa. Uh, again, come at me at Top Outs and TDs on Twitter. Number 52 overall uh, from Notre Dame. And then wide receiver Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn at number 91 overall in the third round. I mentioned in 2020, the Browns went 11 and 5. I've got them going 11 and 6 here in 2021. Uh, the notes I jotted down, Cleveland finally took their long-awaited step forward here in 2020, making the playoffs for the first time since 2002, and I believe only the second time since they re-entered the league in their expansion in the late 90s. An offense with what is probably the best backfield in the NFL in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, this offense was, was able to succeed long after Odell Beckham Jr. went down early in the season with the torn ACL. Um, and a defensive line with Miles Garrett, Malik Jackson, and Jadavian Clowney makes for a pass-rushing nightmare for opposing offenses. Uh, I've got them tripping up at the end of the year with upset losses to Baltimore, Vegas, and Cincinnati in weeks 14, 15, and 18. Their other two losses come to week one to Kansas City and week 17 to the Steelers, both, both who are going to be playoff teams in 2021. But again, this offense was able to put up points. I mean, we'll get to it here in a minute. They were they put up 48 points in the playoff game against the Steelers. Even in a loss to Kansas City, they dropped 17. So this team is, is good. They finished third in the division last year. I've got them finishing second in the division this year. The Cleveland Browns finishing 11-6 and six here in 2021. I am moving right, right along here. I think this might be the quickest divisional breakdown that I've ever done here on the show, at least this season. Uh, the AFC North champions here in 2021 goes to none other than the Pittsburgh Steelers, who in 2020 finished 12 and four as AFC North champions, but lost in the wild card round to the Browns, as I mentioned a minute ago, 48 to 37. A few key losses on this team: linebacker Bud Dupree went to Tennessee, cornerback Mike Hilton has moved on to Cincinnati, offensive tackle Andre. Alejandro Villanueva, like I mentioned a minute ago, has gone to Baltimore, and running back James Conner, who has been an under disappointment in fantasy the last two years, has moved on to Arizona. In, uh, in additions, we look at linebacker Miles Killebrew out of Detroit, running back Kalen Bellage, who is expected by guys like Matthew Berry to be a very uh, good, serviceable running back in the NFL, started his career with the Miami Dolphins, is now coming from the Los Angeles Chargers to come on to this Pittsburgh Steelers offense. And then guard Trey Turner, also from the Chargers. They had a pretty stout uh, draft here just because of their first-round draft pick more than anything else. I mentioned they lost James Conner. James Conner's been a disappointment. They get the perfect replacement for him in the draft as running back Najee Harris, number 24 overall out of Alabama, comes to the Pittsburgh Steelers, followed by their second-round draft pick, 
Pat Fryermuth, number 55 overall from Penn State, and Kendrick Drink. Kendrick Green, number 87 overall in the third round from Illinois. Now they went 12 and 4 in 2020. I got them going 13 and 4 here in 2021, meaning one more game on their schedule means one more win for the Steelers here this year. And in what might be Big Ben's last season, they finally get an upgrade at running back and rookie Najee Harris to take the pressure off, allowing for some of these really talented wide receivers on this roster to finally get some open space. They showed signs last year that all of them could contribute and be very good wide receivers, but the consistency lacked. And I think a lot of that consistency lacked with without the threat of a run game. And they're not going to have to worry about that this season. Mike Tomlin is known for getting the most out of his players. And it'll be no different here, especially as they look to win one more Super Bowl for their future hall of fame quarterback. All four of their losses that I've gotten this year come from playoff teams, including Buffalo in week one, Seattle in week six, at Cleveland in week eight, and then at Kansas City, uh, at Kansas City, I should say, in week 16. I guess I ran through this so quickly this week because it's kind of a, more of the same here in the AFC North. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to win the NFC, the AFC North, excuse me, followed by the Cleveland Browns, the Ravens, and the Cincinnati Bengals. They're going to be fun games to watch, especially with the Bengals as Joe Burrow starts to get healthy. They're going to look like a good football team. I could be completely off base with the Browns and the Steelers. Flip-flop them if you want to. I don't, I'm not sold on, on Baltimore anymore. I'm not sold on that offense, the way that Lamar Jackson handles it and the way that they just don't have the wide receivers who can either stay healthy or can get open with consistency to help out Lamar Jackson. Uh, but nevertheless, this I, I'm really intrigued to see how the Cleveland Browns are going to do this year with a defensive line that just, on paper, is very, very formidable and scary for opposing offensive lines. So again, there's your AFC North preview. Very quick run through. I figured why take so much time uh, when the the Great American Bash took so long. So that's been your show for this week. Uh, coming up next week, we're going to have uh, our regular show, regularly scheduled show come Monday where we are going to review Money in the Bank 2021. That's PJ, Steven, and I, I should say. And then I'm going to preview the NFC West. That's right. We're, we've got two more divisions to go through here. And the NFC West is up next, followed by the last, but certainly not least, AFC West, before we get into some playoff prediction and some positional breakdowns leading up to your fantasy drafts. So for PJ, Steven, it's your guy, Bully Rye. Thanks again for joining us on the show this week. And we'll see you next time right here on Tap House and Touchdowns.